Welcome to the Lojo Show. Thank you for joining us. We are habitually complacent. Mondaloni has a second name. It's M-A-Y-E-R. What? There's always a persistent threat. There is no monopoly on good ideas when it comes to cybersecurity. Welcome to the Lojo Show. I'm your host, Loverture Jones. I'm the founder and managing partner at BlackRock Engineering and Technology, and I have over 20 years of cybersecurity experience, and I am honored to bring some of that experience to you. Today, we are talking to Bill Lucas. Bill has over 15 years of experience in the cybersecurity industry. He has developed a deep understanding of the latest cyber threats and risk management strategies. Bill's experience includes developing and executing incident response plans, conducting security risk assessments, overseeing security audits and compliance efforts, and implementing effective security controls across many industries. Throughout his career, Bill has been responsible for developing and implementing comprehensive security programs that align with business objectives while meeting regulatory requirements. Bill has been successful in building and leading high-performing teams of security professionals fostering a culture of collaboration, innovation, and continuous improvement. Bill is committed to staying at the forefront of emerging technologies and best practices to provide effective security solutions that meet the evolving needs of the organization. If you enjoy this episode, we would really appreciate you sharing it with a friend to help us grow. We appreciate each of our listeners and can't wait to grow our network with you. With that, let's jump right into the interview with Bill. Welcome back to the Lojo Show. I have today Bill Lucas. Bill Lucas is the Director of Cybersecurity with Universal Logistics Holdings and a former colleague of mine, absolutely talented individual. I can't wait to have this discussion. Brings a lot of thoughtful insight and stuff too, as far as cybersecurity, some of the day-to-day that you go through as a leader in cybersecurity for your organization, and just talk about really that day-to-day cyber hygiene and how do you think strategically. So for my folks who want to know a little bit more about what happens on the ground floor of cybersecurity and how that's translated up through the business, this will be a great episode to listen to today. So Bill, welcome on the show. Thanks, Lojo. I really appreciate you having me. All right, man. All right, so you're in Detroit, correct? Correct, yeah. Yep, Detroit, Michigan. All right, in the middle of the thick of things there. So, Bill, welcome to the show. If you would, give people just a quick little background about yourself. I'd love to hear a little bit about your history and then how you come to the, to, to the position you are now as a cyber leader for your organization. Yeah, I started in sales even at the age of 16 from selling door to moving to Pepsi to selling beer to selling liquor. The old adage was starting, popping, retiring liquor, but the whole time it was work full time, go to school full time. I got my associates, bachelor's, then master's. And then finally dived into cybersecurity and IT. Started in healthcare, did that for five years. Moved into automotive, did that for six years. Moved into Deloitte, which opened up a ton of opportunity from just traveling across the U.S. and and seeing from social media to manufacturing to finance. And just it was interesting just to see everyone had the same problems. They were all trying to address them and then just the different ways that they did. 
And then from Deloitte, I came over to Universal Logistics and it was, you're the director of cybersecurity, you're a team of one, <laughs> it's you. I had some, it was a great opportunity to assess everything and build out the program kind of from scratch. You think big, but you have to start small and scale fast. And from the Deloitte consulting experience, just coming in and doing assessments, I treated it just like that. Like I lined it in SCSF, and here's all the gaps, here's what we are doing well, and then created my plan of action and created a three-year plan for this is where we want to be in three years. We want to be world-class or best insecurity and that brings us to to the current state which now we have the dod approved c3pao checking all of our work and making sure that through your path has gotten us where we wanted to be uh, you have the you have a unique background because a lot of times when we talk about cyber and cyber leaders a lot of folks have usually started out in technology and done that and tend to overemphasize in some cases technology and kind of forget about, hey, look, you know what, there's a business that has to really run on this, right? And mm -hmm. there's a business that's driving both the threats that we are, that we can be exposed to, but also on how we address those threats and stuff too. I think one of the things that I found was very, was really refreshing and stuff when I worked with you was you have a great deal of like professional skepticism, right? When you're looking at organization and you're trying to discern, trying to discern whether the organization is taking logical steps and stuff to do what's necessary within both the context of their business, but also within the context of protecting that business. That is a hard trait to find in folks. And I, and you have that in abundance. So tell me how you translated that from what you were doing from a consulting standpoint, now over into industry in the position you're in now. No, and I appreciate the kind words. I treat a little bit to the 10 plus years in sales too you really have to communicate effectively you have to collaborate security is so dependent on everyone else and there's a lot of governance and setting the tone but you need the network team to do things from a firewall perspective you need the infrastructure team to build the servers that are going to be doing the monitoring you need to work closely with developers to make sure security is built in early in the software development life cycle. And then I think the other piece is I love to just understand how things work too. So you come to the table with not just here, this is best practices, this is what I learned in school, but here's the challenges we worked through or figured out the hard way. Maybe this is the best path forward. Yeah, I think that answers that. <laughs> I don't know. It it does. We've discussed this before. We worked with some organizations with really, in some cases, close to unlimited amounts of funds to throw at their cyber issues. And as we work through assessments and stuff with them, we find that these organizations have really invested a lot in technology and stuff that's there. But then when you look at it and you go, who's actually operating this and who's actually looking at it? And you go, these are still very low on your cyber hygiene. Mm -hmm. Meaning what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis doesn't necessarily fit. You're not using your tools to the maximum amount of potential and you're not aligned as well with your business. Tell me about how you approach this with your organization now and really doing that day-to-day -day cyber hygiene challenge. That's an everyday thing now. You're in industry and it's something you got to do every single day. A hundred percent. And you can't buy security. An audit always tells you it's people process technology, but first you have to know the problem. 
then you have to define how you're going to address that. Then lastly, you get the technology in place to help automate and run it. And too many times you get an EDR put in place, but you have everything in audit mode. It's not really protecting or quarantining or doing what it needs to, or you set up a SIM and it comes with 1700 predefined rules, but you're never really looking at them or tweaking them or upping the risk score. What I try with our team is every year to make sure we do annual health checks. We quarterly look at specific things because it's the first step is getting it in place. Then second is to make sure that it's working most effectively for you. And you really have to know your business and how it operates and truly set that baseline. Maybe this group is allowed to do this, or there's a business reason for the, to talk to this country. And it takes time to, to think that you can just run and jump in and do it would be naive. But then documenting those exceptions, revisiting those exceptions, post-mortem and with your incident response, how did this get through? Why didn't these three tools or five or whatever, pick this up. Okay, how do I tweak those tools or what am I missing so I don't let that happen again? Security definitely is, it's 100% continuous. It never ends, it's always has to be adaptive. And just knowing your threat landscape, knowing your baseline, and then looking at your gaps, prioritizing them. And once you hit those targets or you close them, reevaluating and addressing the new ones that could pop up. So for you folks that are probably riding in your car listening to this podcast, I think one of the one of the most important things is to bring this to the day-to-day -day of people that say outside of cyber for the organization. Sometimes when we're making policies or we're beginning to either adjust or let's say ban certain services or access and stuff that's there, we can create from a cyber standpoint, we can create a lot of disruption in the business, right? It really is. I and mean, sometimes, as Bill said, in some cases, we want to do geo-blocking and stuff, right? Of certain traffic and stuff that's there. But mixed in all that are valid communications that have to happen. And so if you're looking at your organization and going, why are we doing these things? Why is it so hard to get into email? Why is it so hard for us to when I'm on my company device, why can I not get to these certain websites or to these certain areas that I can on my own personal stuff? These are the challenges there because basically with every help desk call that comes along with that, we're always trying to justify ourselves to one another, right? You from a business standpoint are trying to justify what you're doing and it's worth the risk. And us from a cyber standpoint are trying to say, yeah, we know that there's a business reason for this, but maybe there's another way to do it. And sometimes we talk across each other. Keeping cyber hygiene is not only say on the onus of the cybersecurity practitioners in the organization or leader, but it also comes down to the buy-in from the people, from the other folks in the organization, from the business. And so what are some of your challenges when you look at that bill, as far as keeping that communication line open? What do you think is probably the most effective way for a cyber leader to do that? No, no, great points. The reason we have jobs and the reason we can buy some of these tools is because of the business. So we have to always be conscious and it's super easy to be the no person, but you have to come up with, what about this? What if we did it this way? How do we, what if we put this in the DMZ or what if we put some compensating controls around it this way, extra monitoring or et cetera, or 
there, there's always a way and it's finding the one you're always risk evaluating everything you don't want to impede or slow down the business but you want to keep the business secure so there is a big collaboration effort on that and you have to keep an open mind and look at alternative ways to keep it running and keep it secure yeah absolutely and i guess one of the most important things and I, this used to be left out in the past was the education part of the cyber throughout the organization now that's picked up significantly over the years but i remember when i was first started doing cyber requirements for education throughout the organization for non-technical people non-cyber folks right and now it's an everyday thing it is just table stakes now with the organizations i go to and assess seeing the advancements in how we train and inform our public as well as our company regarding cyber has changed tremendously in terms of both responsibilities things like the phishing campaigns and stuff too that are done in these organizations but also the active threat hunting in some cases where you're looking and you're providing both a service for your people, but also for your organization, as far as helping to understand how threats are permeated from the individual as well. So the individual practices that our employees of companies have can greatly affect what's going on in the organization too. Has that something that you've ran across over the past two years or so, two or three years? No, and that's a key point. You have to really build that security culture. We do October Training Awareness Month. One of my great hires was Chahak Matal, who has a true passion in training and awareness. I mean, we do games from like Security Feud one week or Kahoot the next week. And then we hit up our vendors for kind of swag. And then those are rewards for who's in first, second place, quarterly fishing campaigns. And then something else that we've implemented is monthly lunch and learns. And having the red team come in and here, let me show you how this isn't just theoretical. Here's how I owned your database. Here's how I did this. Here's how we recommend you closing that. And there's so much value in that because, oh, wow, okay, yep. That's legit. I get it now. I need to be more careful. Monthly newsletters, cybersecurity bulletins, when something big happens from us or from a third party standpoint, hey, this customer of ours had this happen. Here's what we did on our end. And it really hits home to, yep, you guys are protecting us. Yep, this is serious. We all know the APTs are out there and you never truly can prevent them, but just being trying to stay in front of them. Russia is, our industry is very critical from a supply chain standpoint, and they're constantly trying to get in. The threat is real and, and building that security culture and awareness is the way that you're going to be successful. And to your point, I think one of the I think one of the biggest shifts or let's say seismic shifts in our industry is our exposure to state-sponsored cyber terror, right? State-sponsored cyber terror. It is. It's the new front of warfare. It's also the new front of espionage and everything else that comes along with that. And more now than ever, you know, more now than ever, individuals organizations companies have a part in both our national security but also securing the way we do business and the way that we get our basic needs and stuff met here in the u.s and that's an 
important part. So whenever we now talk about, hey, you're going to be a cyber leader in a logistics organization or a cyber leader in a financial or financial services or banking or fintech organization, really that now translates into, hey, you're going to be a material part and contributor to protecting our way of life, protecting our ability to do business as well as ability to maintain our households and stuff too. That's really what the translation goes to. And it is, it's a day-to-day challenge and hygiene from that. With that in mind, one of the questions I like to ask leadership inside of organizations, like when I get the opportunity to meet with the CEO or CFO, or even with the board, one of my first questions that I lead in with are, can you describe your the threats to your organization and the risk environment that you operate in and then i just typically get quiet and i listen the thing that i hate to hear is when someone goes let me get this person to come in they can tell you a little bit more about that that doesn't cut it anymore that used to be okay but now that doesn't cut it because now there's a business translation to that question translation is how much, how much in resources do I need to dedicate to protecting the organization? What am I protecting it from? How persistent is that? Which is pretty darn persistent these days. Last but not least, how do I measure if I'm being successful or not in doing so? And so those questions there are some of the primary questions that I like to turn to, to give me an idea of, how cyber is viewed in the organization and maybe how far down the line are they in maturing the thoughts on it. So this is how we look at, these are the basis for creating an actual cybersecurity strategy across the org. Tell me a little about how you have approached really developing a cyber strategy for the organization that can be understood by your C-suite, CEO and CFOs and stuff too, as well as your customers. Yeah, and I, and I meet weekly with the CTO, CEO. I do quarterly C-suite awareness where here's everything we did or everything we're going to do and some of the threats we've been dealing with to try to keep that. And I think I agree with you. Some of those answers come from the top down, but sometimes you can help. You can do a business impact analysis. You can set up a risk management framework. You can bring to the table and see if they agree with what the biggest risks are and what we need to secure and what the critical assets are. And then that collaboration comes together. And I'm fearful from the APT side, like Russia, not to like hone in on it too much from Aurora to Stuxnet to WannaCry to NotPetya, we've seen a maturation where they can deploy this through CDN or content delivery networks. They can, and we've felt the ripples from healthcare industry, financial to supply chain but they were the after effects of very targeted attacks. Georgia, Estonia, Ukraine now. When they turn and target that directly at America, we have to be prepared. Defenses have to be up and we have to be able to detect and respond to it quickly. And I think even just recently, the last couple of weeks, we've seen China really start to hit the power grids. And that infrastructure is so critical. Everything stops if you don't have power. So it's just a warning is the point that the threat is very real and when it really gets pointed at us we got to be prepared 
Back to your question, I think I answered it in the beginning. It's just the communication, having your own risk management framework and plan, bringing that to the table, making sure everyone understands it and having very clear security goals and objectives is, will help to get success with that in that area. Yeah, and you did. The emphasis as far as on strategy, right? You have your risk management framework and components. And here's the other part. It's not a one size fits all. Your risk, how you execute your risk management framework as far as in customizing what you do from an org standpoint, it's going to be different. Like you have a different profile than a financial institution, right? You have a different profile than an educational institution. <clears throat> and so as you look or as you go and you look and say what are we solutioning for and how are we approaching this i think one of the critical statements in that is using your background and the knowledge that's there one of the first things i think we learn when we go into consulting and stuff too is that one size doesn't fit all but in addition to that is that compliance doesn't mean security and security doesn't mean compliance 100%. You can pass audits all the time and still get breached. And the, it's a false sense of security. And a lot of times dealing with your third-party auditors, you'll see that they're not asking the right questions, but you're happy to not disclose and pass. And I think to sum it all up, like staying current with your industry trends, foster that security first culture, develop a strategic cybersecurity plan, build a strong team, cybersecurity team, communicating effectively, lead by example, collaborate with all the other departments, S stay proactive and always never stop learning. So you can be aware of the new threats. Like we do daily news, top three articles every day, and it just helps keep you in sync with what the threats are coming. You watch CISA, you watch all the threat until you can just to be proactive. And then ensuring that you have a good incident response capabilities to be able to handle when things do arise. Yep. Yeah. Resilience is a, such an important thing, right? While we think and we want to be able to stop everything at the front door, the reality is from a cyber standpoint is that your fence is not going to always work. Your wall's not going to always work. Right. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, the planning to be a resilient organization, meaning to be able to absorb an incident, right? Being able to limit the blast area for that, right? For that incident, being able to do your root cause and stuff too for the incident and improve the organization's security as well as business process in order to stipend that in the future. Those are some of the most important parts of this. It's not a, hey, I can put walls everywhere and then yeah, I'm done. It is, you got to be able to be resilient, right? You got to be able to recover from that. You got to be able to reassume business operations and stuff for it and be able to learn from it and then apply that into your next steps as far as in your, your, the people, the training that you have and ability and capability that's there, the technology that you use to, to complement the people that you have. But more importantly, nowadays, one of the things that I found that's really pushing the envelope is that our organizations are more and more digital. And now I've got to be able to sense faster, respond faster, and then also be able to automate even my playbook in order to do this. Tell us about that journey now, as far as being able to use technology and automation to complement what you're doing, not necessarily take over everything that you're doing, but to complement it, to keep up with the pace. 
Yeah, that's where Rockstar, like, you, you truly have to look through the eyes of your enemy and know that they're continuously learning, they're continuously adapting. So in order to combat it, you have to play the same playbook. And user behavior analytics is hugely a key because you can set the baseline, you can concentrate on things that are happening different. Because as they adapt, I think one of the biggest threats is when they're living off the land or using normal processes. Do you know how many PowerShell scripts are running your environment on a daily basis? Do you know this? So then it gets tricky when it's normal business, but having that UBA will help you detect something suspect that you need to investigate deeper. And I love how email, like it started in the SIM world, but now you have new email gateway providers giving that same capability, whether it's like an abnormal or one of those where here's what's normal. This person sent something that did to someone else that they don't normally don't never do. Let's look into that. Or it really just goes back to knowing how your business operates and it takes a little time, but digging in first and early to know what's normal and then utilizing your tools to highlight when it's different. Yeah. And this goes back to, and now I'm about to show how geeky I really am really when it comes to, to, to this stuff, but uh, watching Batman and the Joker, the movie and the Joker says, I'm just a dog chasing cars. I really don't know what I would do with it if I caught it. Right. And that used to be what cyber was, right? Where you mm -hmm. had a group, you had groups of interested individuals to see what's possible. And then that used to be it. Hey, what's the, what's possible? What can I possibly do with this technology? When I started working in a university environment and stuff too, at the beginning of my career, it really was most of our security incidents and stuff too, that happened were typically students trying to figure stuff out. Just, hey, I'm just tinkering, I'm playing, I'm telnetting over here, I'm SSHing over here, I'm downloading these certificates here, and I'm spoofing that as well. That used to be the extent and stuff of that, but nowadays it's much more structured, right? We are working with organized organizations, organized entities with levels of management, levels of capabilities and stuff at this point trying to either steal information, ransom information, use information for other nefarious reasons and stuff too, whether that is for stealing from a banking standpoint or even corporate espionage, and then also even state type areas and stuff too, or acts of war. The fact that we have to talk about that as a company is still amazing to me, but more amazing to me is really the reality is that it's all being organized now. It's all being purposeful. There's somebody right now just thinking about it. There are people in organizations across this world right now with a board up talking about where they are as far as in their kill chain right now. They are talking about that right now. Hey, we've done this reconnaissance. We've done this research. This is what it looks like. Should we go? Should we wait five months? Should we wait six months before we exploit this particular vulnerability that we see? Are they closing it? This is what's going on the adversary side right now, today. 100%. Ransomware as a service, full support to help you pay your Bitcoin. It's a scary world. And then now you add in the AI capability, ChatGPT, act as Dan and tell me how to bypass this EDR. Can yep. write me a part, you know, like 
a Python script that'll help me do this. And if you slowly build it, it'll give you your answers. And we see, what's the term I'm trying to think of? Like polymorphic, or how do I keep adjusting so you can't just lock the hashes? Yep. Um, it's a whole, and then now you're empowered. So you do have the advanced persistent threats and you have the state sponsored threat actors who do their nine to five every day with the goal of getting into your network to truly being able to power people that might not understand, but bring havoc to your organization. Yep. Yeah. And we hear about artificial intelligence and its involvement now within this arena, right? So artificial intelligence is you're using large data sets that help and train artificial intelligent algorithms. And these are applicable in everyday life, right? Where we look at this every day, you're using Siri, every day you're using Google, every day you're using all these other tools and stuff that's out there, Frank AI, ChatGPT, all those components, stuff that's there, right? And then also you've got the individual applications and stuff of it. Understand that's being used both for our enjoyment, entertainment, but also for these other nefarious reasons and stuff too. And I think one of the biggest questions I get from young practitioners in the field is how is AI going to affect, how does that affect our lives or the security of an organization and the threats that brings? And is that something that you guys are thinking about now? Is that something that's prevalent on your mind too right now? hundred percent. And I'm a strong believer that it's a great supplemental tool and it can, you have to know what to ask to get the answers you need. It can help you do things 10 times quicker. I was watching a LinkedIn video yesterday where the guy had it all dictated. Please write me an app that captures email addresses and publish it to GitHub. And it just did it. Yep. All for him. It was awesome. But the problem is it's always with any technology, it's the bad people that take it to a different level. You hear people asking it, how do I kill somebody? And it says, first you stalk them, first you know their schedule, here's how you dispose of the body. And it's, I would have never thought to ask that, but it, for the supplemental empowerment also happens to the bad. And that's the scary part of it. But I think it can take us quicker. Like I, I use it a lot for just quick tasks and help me. This is what I'm trying to do. Give me, point me in the right direction, but it is scary. Yeah. It really is. When you talk about the weaponization of information, right? And now this is a different aspect of what we usually look at, a weaponization of, of information. We used to look at it as just, oh, media and news, right? AI really is the weaponization of information, right? Yeah. When used for negative or for illegal purposes or for purposes that's intent to hurt others and stuff too from that. The biases that get built into it too. Like you... Yeah. ChatGPT, what is a woman? It's if you identify as a woman, what does that mean? There's a bias built in right there in that answer alone. And not to go down that political drama lane, but, and then you have to program when you think about like an autonomous vehicle. I think MIT did a great study worldwide and it's, you have to, you're going too fast, you're going to hit an object. And then they did the different examples, like a child versus a dog. And you have to program like hit the dog or a young person or an old person. And then it was interesting, a few countries in Europe was like, no, hit the child because we respect and want the wisdom to stay. But now there's a consensus and a group coming together making these decisions. And that's interesting too. And I think that will always have to continuously be reanalyzed because what we agree today isn't gonna be the same in 10 years. 
No, you're exactly right, man. And that leads me into the topic. When we talk about AI and for our listeners, data sets and the data from which that AI has been trained as far as from an algorithm standpoint and the insights that it provides, Mm -hmm. the biggest threat when it comes to AI is indeed the data sets that it has been used, right? It's used Mm -hmm. to be able to tune the decisioning and stuff that's from it and what is coming out. Because at the end, it's still a garbage in, garbage out portion. But one of the important pieces, why we have been adamant about look, we can't let people get this tons of information, tons of private information and stuff about us individually, about our company and about our organization is because the more information there is, the more insights you can draw. However, the more narrow that information is either from a bias standpoint or even for the ability to introduce misinformation, that right there is the most dangerous component when it comes to AI, because now how it applies that yeah you'll find the you can find the bias you can find the leaning and stuff there and here's the thing that's all math that part is all math what variable did you put in there variable is not clean or if the data set's not clean guess what what you get out of it is something that's not quite as accurate or not quite as acceptable or so in some cases so this is the part when we look at even our industry and what we do from let's say a cybersecurity engineer that job's going to change significant mm-hmm. over the next two years the cybersecurity engineer or cybersecurity specialist or cybersecurity analyst or those jobs are going to change it's going to be a huge change and a huge shift in what you're needing as a professional within that industry so when we look at that for how we hire and how we are moving forward is that something that you think about on a regular basis or has that kind of hit you yet or how have you been handling that my fear too is that we become too dependent on it. Not Petya took down Nuance, which is the back end for Siri, but also the back end for PowerScribe and dictations in hospitals. So it's interesting. You have a doctor all night, read a ton of cases, and he uses Nuance to turn it into text. And now you have two surgeries coming in and they can't because no one's been able to dictate it. So what's the back end? What's the manual operating procedure? What's the manual way to do this when you lose that technology? And it's going to get targeted. I think ChatGPT went down a couple of days ago. And it probably wasn't malicious, but 10 years down the road when we're so dependent on it, will we have lost something inherent in people that just that knowledge and that skill set? And that, that scares me too. I think what I look for, like in my people too, and even any of the interviews is just, do you have the passion? Do you have the desire to learn? Everything else from a security standpoint, easily taught or shared. But if you you can't teach somebody passion or desire, and if they have that, when it works, and I might've went off on a different tangent there, but yeah, I think that answers it. Yeah. No, and that's it. One of the key... One of the key attributes that I've found in the people that I've hired and the people that I've worked with is that passion, right? To go in and look beyond just what's face value, but to really look to understand what is going on both, let's say, from a technology standpoint, but also within the business and the culture and stuff too of an organization. But and then outside of that, how does the world affect that? We talk about it from a sales standpoint, from a sales standpoint, yeah, you have to understand these trends, the shifts, right? What's the demand of the marketplace? What will people pay for something? How much would they pay for it? (laughs) 
Mm -hmm. How fast will they pay for it? Right. These are things from a sales standpoint that are inherent in our sales forces. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's something that also we have to make sure that we're evolving towards as well within this industry, because now there's just change upon change, changes in threats, changes in reasons why motives and stuff too, that we need to think about and think through, especially when we talk about how a strategy is developed and how that strategy can help with your cyber hygiene from a day-to-day basis. That is, that's the, that's the challenge now. And that's the challenge that CISOs and cybersecurity directors, vice presidents of cybersecurity across the world are facing now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why that skill set's so valuable because most IT, a lot of us are introverted and but having that curiosity to keep asking, to understand the bigger picture, to step back a little bit and seeing how it all plays together and making exclusions with compensating controls as needed is key. But the introvert sometimes hinders the collaboration and communication. Yep. Yeah. It's hard. You're looking for unicorns and people. Yeah, it is. It's funny. It kind of how you put in how you put that. I found that some of the most effective professionals in our industry are introverted cynics. Oh, <laughs> introverted cynics, right? Which is funny. So it's there is there's some learned traits and stuff there, but it is. It's that's been the case for years where it's oh, that guy's weird or he's a little strange on that. It's like, no, he's just introverted and he's a cynic. Oh yeah, those are the best people. Go talk to them. They're smart. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, when you ask them a question, they're going to tell you exactly what's on their mind, though. <laughs> yeah, and there's so much value in that. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know? it is. There's value in it, and I think over the years, the gap that we've been able to begin to really fill in, and I see this kind of in the talent that's moving into these CISO slots, into the director slots for cyber is also being able to communicate from a business standpoint that's in there. For my folks that are students and stuff that are out there and listening to this, if you really look at your career, whether it's in digital transformation, cloud engineering, AI, or any of that, right? One thing is to, yeah, you want to master what you do really well. But I would say the most important thing is that if you are introverted, in some cases, you got to push yourself outside of your envelope to be able to speak and communicate. Because while you may be talented and you have all that knowledge inside, sometimes it's how you're going to deliver it. And that's going to be the most important part of that. For you guys out there who are practitioners in this industry, our success is going to be predicated on that. Can we communicate good business concepts and integrate it with cyber challenges and cybersecurity issues? and solutions and stuff with that we've got to be able to communicate in that way that would be another whole episode too us being able to do that all right love this love to have that with you too bill yeah i'm down yeah mental wellness is a big thing and for the introverts just ensure you give your time yourself time to recharge because then you, you are bringing that you can communicate and it does drain you but as long as you take care of yourself you know you'll get through it yep Excellent. Well, man, thank you for coming on today. Definitely appreciate it. Again, just such, I'm never surprised, but I'm always just pleased about just really the insight and stuff too, that you've been able to provide and some of the different aspects and angles and stuff too, that you've looked at this area and within this career, as well as within the world at large right now. So definitely appreciate it and having your perspective on that and look forward to the next time. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, Lojo. I appreciate it. 
That's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. If you want to see updates on the show, its upcoming guests, and more, follow our LinkedIn or our new Twitter page. If you have questions for Lojo or want to come on the show, you can send us an email at officiallojoshow at gmail.com or join our new Discord server. You have to follow our LinkedIn page to learn how to join. With that, we will say goodbye, have a great week, stay safe, and stay secure.